home is where God is. Uncle Luke, he's here to show us the way to go home. And he brings us to this famous scene. You know that scene. Won't you be my neighbor? Come on in. Let's check it out. Luke chapter 10, verse 29 to 37. All the bubbas of the world. We got one mission in mind. Welcome to the Biblical Channel. Always glad somebody is showing up because we like talking God. And we're convinced here at the Biblical Channel that people need to talk more God. People ought to be talking God because talking God from the Bible, you know, and its inform informative point of view just makes this life's chamois get wrung out a lot better. Talking God, saying your prayers, um, getting together, read your Bible and read it well. Um, a lot of the world, I suppose, uh, has shied away from talking God because the Bible has just been poorly read. Well, don't blame the Bible on that. Get into it and read it the right way. That's all we're trying to do is read it the right way. And I'm just a dumb Bubba. So any Bubba can do it if I can do it. And so read it the right way. Have some fun. Grow your brain and, and, and develop a great sense of your place in this world with God. Anyhow, to all the Bubbas of the world, let's get talking God. And uh, remember, even Mary, the Virgin Mary, Jesus' mother Mary, Mary, mother of God, you know her, that peasant girl, that peasant girl showed us the way to go home. And that is that she says her soul magnifies the Lord. She says her spirit rejoices in God, her Savior. If we just had that attitude, I guarantee the whole world would be a better place. And people have been embracing that attitude and making the world a better place. The people who are making the world a better place embrace the attitude that their soul magnifies the Lord, that their spirit rejoices in God, their Savior. When people start thinking like that, they start acting right in every other department of life. Okay, let's come on in. Check it out. Thank you, Father, for always being with us. Amen. So our passage continues on from last week's passage where we have a bit of a smarty pants lawyer who you know steps up to you know again stick it to the man and the man being Jesus and we know that Jesus the man is clearly portraying himself as God and that is one of the funniest parts about the Bible God came into this world and nobody got it that is just the way we are as human beings think about it for a second God comes into the world, and we don't get it. And, you know, we're, we're sitting here saying, I just want God to come into this world. And then when he does, we don't get it. You see, there, there is just this, this human tendency to develop all of the wrong attitudes and do all of the wrong things and be looking for all of the wrong things out of God. So Jesus is here to set the record straight. The Bible's here to set the record straight. And we're going to find out that the Bible, you know, is, is excellent. I mean Excellent. There's nothing like it when it comes to the course of human events being changed by something very positive. The Bible has been an instrument of change like no other. Nobody was talking change until God came into the world and started talking change. And he's been talking change, positive, loving change ever since he made his footprint in this world, which I, we'll talk about that in a second. So, but that, that's where the scene comes from. It's the second part of a two-part scene that Uncle Luke has brought us to, and we have this challenge, you know, this challenge from this lawyer, and not a lawyer like our modern day lawyer, but a lawyer who's uh, a theological guy, uh, a theological person attached to the priesthood, 
attached to the Levites. Now, don't forget, everything's gotten weird um, under Rome. So, so even Israel in the story has gone pear shaped. That means that they have gone sideways, that they have kind of turned into a bit of a circus themselves. They're involved in politics. They're involved in all kinds of things that God never asked them to be a part of. And so it's no big surprise that they're the ones who are getting it wrong. And that is part of the shocking, you know, storyline going on here is that this lawyer has come to, you know, kind of stick it to Jesus, um, to trip him up, to test him. And we remember this, that uh, old Satan himself, whenever he confronted Jesus, was there to test him too. And Jesus said, you don't test God, my friend. Which is a quote from the old part of the Bible, Deuteronomy. If you ever wanted to engage yourself, um, get a good handle on that. Um, we'll do a biblical on Deuteronomy uh, eventually. But uh, for right now, we're just going to have to spot check it. And uh, Jesus is also going to quote again. You know, he's going to build upon a, a very Deuteronomy kind of idea. Deuteronomy and Leviticus. So anyhow, the, the scene turns. G, you know, the, the guy put Jesus' words into Jesus' mouth. He's like, he asked them a question, um, and and uh, Jesus said, well, what do you think? And and he gave him this standard Jesus answer, um, which was a setup. It wasn't, you know, his sincerity that was on the line. And Uncle Luke's been hinting at that, that this lawyer stood up to test him. And now, and now, you know, once he gives the Jesus answer, Jesus just says, perfect answer. Just go do it which is hilarious. So go back to look at last week. We don't want to rehash uh, you know, all of that. But now we come to the scene. Uncle Luke, again, gives us a hint. He says, this guy wants to justify himself. I'm not you know, saying anything you can't see for yourselves, but when somebody wants to justify themselves, it's usually not a moment that we love um, from other people. Um, it's usually a moment that's going to go south. And this moment, this guy wants to justify himself. And we shouldn't expect it to go well because he's a smarty pants. He's a, he's a fun sucker. He's, he's not that great of a guy. And he his true colors are starting to come out now. And he asks very cheeky, uh, oh, 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 love God, Jesus? Uh-huh, yeah, yeah. Love your neighbor as yourself, Jesus? Uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, Jesus, who's, who's your neighbor then? Huh? Huh? Listen. Human beings' problem is they sometimes just don't get out of middle school. You can be, you know, I, I swear, you can be in your 80s and still be in diapers as far as your human progress goes. And and this guy is one, kind of one of those guys. I don't know how old he is, but, man, he is still in middle school. He's still active. I taught middle school for 12 years. Ooh, that was enough. Uh, I did my service to my country. But this guy stands up, and he has kind of a middle school attitude. He's like, uh-huh, you know, so who's my neighbor? Well, you know, honestly, well, let's just let the scene on, you know, unpack itself. So this uh, uh, this guy's attitude is that of stick it to the man. He's going to show Jesus by giving him his own words back. Jesus says, well, just let, you know, your your answer was correct. I'm not changing my tune. You know, your answer's good. Just do it. And now the guy says, who's going to be my neighbor? Which reminds me of Fred Rogers, man. What an excellent way to teach kids. Won't you be my neighbor? Won't you please? Won't you please, please won't you be my neighbor? If we would only have stuck with Fred Rogers' teaching in Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, we'd be all better people. But at some point, some clever person came along and said, Mr. Rogers is dumb, and we're like, oh, yeah, he's dumb. No, 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 Mr. Rogers is great. 
Um, and then we went down the wrong road when we thought he wasn't dumb, or when he, when he was dumb. So anyhow, won't you be my neighbor becomes the object of this guy's questions. What does it mean to be a neighbor, Jesus? Well, Jesus says, uh, funny, you ask that question. Let me just tell you a little story, and you work it out for yourself, which means Jesus is telling you a little story, and you need to work it out for yourself. And you kind of need to, you know, get the vibe of the thing. So the the story that breaks out is, is the all famous Samaritan's story. The Good Samaritan. Uh, you know, what, uh, people probably don't even know what the Good Samaritan really me- means anymore, or maybe they do. Um, it is a wildly famous passage um, from the Bible and the Bible alone. And this is not only just a famous passage from the Bible, it's not just a famous passage out of Jesus' own lips, but it's grabbing the essence of, of the whole counsel of the Bible. This is the benchmark of the Bible's teaching. This is one of those quintessential you know, parables or moments of clarity that everybody can figure it out, and you should just do it. And then if we think that everybody says this, Oh, you're just kidding yourself because that's not the world I live in. It's not the world you live in either. And sometimes we're the ones who are working against this kind of teaching. But the benchmark, you know, idea of the Bible and God uh, that stands alone in defining God and us at the same time is passages like this. God is 100% all the time good. And therefore, If we're going to love God, then we too should be 100% all the time good. If you're not, you got a problem. And God says, that's where I want you to be. I want you to realize you got a problem. And I got the solution to the problem. That's all Jesus, that's all God has been saying all along. You've got a problem. I've got a problem. And God has a solution to our problem. He's still loving. We're the ones who have an unloving problem. Well, anyhow, this benchmark idea, you know, of, of, you know, loving your neighbor as yourself and loving God, you know, is, is, you know, as old as the Bible is. Moses, you know, wrote Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Okay. Those are the five, first five books of the Bible. Moses is the author of them. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6, that's where we hear uh, the famous, you know, line, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength. And, And that is the Jesus answer that he's been telling everybody. This is the heart and soul of the Ten Commandments. And then the second half is love your neighbor as yourself. Well, that is a quote from Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus is that dark book that nobody really likes to read. It seems so wildly um, out of our element, which it is. Because by the time we come onto the scene in the year 2000, you know, 2000 something, 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 whatever, whenever it is, we already live in a world that God has been working long before we got here on and and bringing us to a better place. And we live in a world that has jumped onto Jesus train wholeheartedly. I don't know if you're used to admitting it or not, but the world we live in. America and and many of the countries of the world that we live in are standing on the shoulders of Jesus teaching. And so Deuteronomy chapter 6, love God, and do De- and Leviticus chapter 19, love your neighbors yourself. You know, have been around a long time and Jesus is just saying what the old part of the Bible says correctly. 
he's teaching the old part of the Bible correctly. We read it wrong. Jesus reads it right. He said, if you didn't get this out of the old part of the Bible, then you need to go back and read it again. So anyhow, this whole passage of the Samaritan is really just a rehash of just old biblical principles that God has been saying from the very beginning. Um, and, and it forms Jesus' summary of the whole of the Ten Commandments. The, the Ten Commandments, as simple as they are, we get those wrong. And Jesus said, okay, let me make it really simple. Love God, love your neighbor. That's what it's all about. So let's also talk about the other side of the coin, and that is the benchmark of hum human beings. The benchmark of human beings is to form little cliques, little, little groups of distinctions, little groups of distinctions that, you know, look at other people and other groups and say, oh, I don't like you for a lot of reasons. But, but who is it that usually hates the, you know, the most? Is it really people that are wildly different than us that we hate the most? Answer, no. If you look at the real statistics on crime and murder, you will find that the people that murder people are the same people. Take, for instance, the famous Tutsis and Hutus, you know, of Africa, those famous that, that this is this is in our, our our living, you know, in the in the Rwandan genocide of the 90s, the, the most awful, you know, machete wars, machete wars, where uh, as many as a million or more people, says the Rwandan constitution, were slaughtered. Who was slaughtering who? Tutsis and Hutsus. Yeah. And you know what? Nobody could tell them different uh, apart from one another unless you were a Tutsi or a Hutsu. Uh, meaning that it is people of close kindred that spend the most time killing one another. And that's what this story is about. The Levite, the priest, and the Samaritan, they are kin. They are real kin. I'll explain that in a second. But put that in your mind, that as human beings, who are the biggest haters? Well, people that are closest to us. That's who the biggest haters are. Who leaves each other for dead? People who are the most similar to us. You know who kills the most amount of supposed white people? White people. You know who kills the most amount of brown people? Brown people. You know who kills uh, the supposed, you know, black people? Black people numerically, the ones who are closest to us are the ones who do the most killing to us. And we're a part of it sometimes. Oh, it's awful. That is the human condition. That is who hates who, you know, on a regular basis. The Hatfields and McCoys, these are just dumb Irish people and, you know, dumb Irish hillbillies. Bah, they're all dumb Irish hillbillies. Hatfields and McCoys killing each other. And let, let us not forget on a more serious note that the Jews in Germany, in the 40s, were Germans. They spoke German. They saw themselves as German. Um, it was Germans against Germans. And the distinction of a Jewish German was what Hitler didn't want. But nonetheless, Germans. Um, and these people look very much alike. Well, then there is the Chinese who are not excluded from this. Who kills the most Chinese? Chinese. Who kills the most Africans? Africans. Who kills the most Russians? Russians. Stalin, let us not forget, you know, snuffed out 20 million of his own people after, uh, you know, at, at the close of World War II. And, uh, you know, China, 
oh my gosh, the list of China killing China is is immense. I mean, we're talking millions, tens of millions, tens of millions, tens of millions, um, intentionally left for dead. And these are their own people building those canals, build, building those monuments, you know, where people died senselessly in slavery, you know, in the ancient world. You know, that was all the same people group. Now, every once in a while, you brought in other people and enslaved them too. But the ones who took it on the chin the hardest were the ones from their own people. Well, anyhow, that's what Jesus' story is really about. There's this guy. And, and if, if you're reading and hearing the story in its original setting, you kind of assume that this guy that has been roughed up, beaten up, and, and assumingly robbed uh, by robbers alongside the road is a Jew. Uh, you know, some man from the tribe of Judah. And it is, you know, a little bit shocking to us that the Levite um, and the priest, you know, their own people, pass him by. Um, and But I would say this, uh, hold this, this, this might blow your mind. A Jew hearing about this would probably understand and say, yeah, I can see why the priest and the Levite would actually pass him by because these are holy men and they can't get unclean you know, with, you know, dirtying themselves up. This is part of the correction that Jesus is making, saying, okay, you guys who are in charge, you you religious leaders who are in charge, you have it, the, you, you are wrong more so than anybody. And because you are wrong, therefore everybody is, is becoming even more wrong. And that's the impact of this story. It's a very critical, you know, and scathing storyline against Jesus' own people, saying, you have missed the biblical mark. You have not read you know, Deuteronomy chapter 6, love God with all your heart, mind, and strength, and you have not read Leviticus 19, love your neighbor as yourself. And let us not forget that a lot of people will point, you know, if you go to college, you know, a lot of people, you know, you, you'll take a religious studies course and you'll be told that, oh, don't, you know, Christianity isn't responsible for the moral teaching of the world. You know, listen, Hammurabi, you know, that famous Amorite, um, he had a, you know, very ethical moral code um, way before, you know, the people of Moses. And we, when we say way before, it's like a few hundred years. Um, and, and people say, oh, Moses just copied uh, Hammurabi's code, you know, so really it's the, the Amorites. And let's not forget that a deep dive on the Amorites tolerated the, you know, sacrifice of children. Okay, so the other thing, though, about Hammurabi and, and the code and Amorites is that it only applied to Amorites. Israel's code of love your neighbor as yourself extended to the sojourner, to the stranger. Um, God reminded them very clearly in Leviticus chapter 19, uh, looks like specifically uh, like, uh, somewhere around 35, you know, verse 35 or so, that the stranger and the sojourner in your midst are to be treated the same, with no distinction, with no prejudice, with no bigotry, nothing like that. So this story that Jesus tells us is very scathing on the people of Israel, specifically the tribe of Judah, because then we need to understand who these Samaritans are. Who these Samaritans are is the lost ten tribes of Israel. And the tribe of Judah 
if you follow the storyline in the old part of the Bible, God eventually says, you know what? You're, you're not acting any better than the people who I got rid of to put you in this place. And so therefore, in order to be just, I've got to get you out of here because you're not acting any better. You're not picking up on the message. You're not using the information that I gave you to make the world a better place. You're not getting it. You're not extending my love and my kindness to all of mankind. And that's what I called you to do. That's what it meant for, you know, Israel to be a nation of priests, you know, to be his treasured possession, that they were to have this positive impact on the world, which they are not being. But then as human beings do, Israel, you know, found themselves, you know, first of all, King Solomon's children were idiots and they divided the kingdom. And, and so you have 10 tribes, you know, against two tribes and everything's going fine. Um, but God keeps warning them saying, y'all are doing stuff that I didn't ask you to do. You should not have divided. And so he allows the Assyrians to defeat the 10 tribes to the north. And when the Assyrians defeat you, it's pretty brutal because they take you out of your home and they put other people in your home. And so they dispersed them. And so these people became known as the dispersion, you know, the diaspora. Uh, the, the lost 10 tribes of Israel were lost because they had been mixed up into the wider world around. They were deported and they never came back. Now, the two southern tribes of Judah and Benjamin, well, they lasted another 100 years or more. In 586, though, God said, it's time for you too. And the Babylonians sack them and deport them too. But an odd twist of events, the king of Persia uh, sacks the Babylonians. And when he finds out that the Israelites, the tribe of Judah, has been you know, in prison, all they want to do is go back to their land. It's actually King Cyrus who says, yeah, go ahead, do that. That's fine. I don't care. And he allows them to go back. And then humans doing what humans doing. The tribe of Judah, do you think they're humbled by this? No, they see themselves as more pure. They see themselves as better than those 10 tribes because the 10 tribes have had to intermarry amongst others. All of this, though, is playing right into God's hands. He wanted them to affect the nations. They weren't affecting the nations positively. And so this is how God got them out into the nations. But in you know Jesus' day, by the time Jesus' day, there has been quite the click of, of Jewish people. So in this story, they're... they're, they're they are absolutely shocked and horrified that Jesus just made a Samaritan, a Samaritan, the hero of the story. They expected to have, a, they, they might have excused the priest and the Levite because, oh, they were supposed to stay clean and not dirty themselves up. But they did expect that Jesus would put in a, a Jewish hero, but he put in a Samaritan hero. And what's he telling them? He's telling them that your little most hated people. Who hates Samaritans? Nobody. Nobody hates Samaritans. Nobody has a problem with Samaritans. Nobody except the tribe of Judah who see themselves, you know, and are patting themselves on the back for, uh, you know, God's grace. And God is saying, you have got to be kidding me. That's how you respond, you know, to the grace that I gave you. Well, anyway. Okay. When it's all said and done, Look at this guy. This guy can't even admit. Jesus says, hey, which one of these guys do you think was the neighbor? <laughs> and this guy says, well, the one who showed mercy. He can't even say the word Samaritan. You know, it's, still, it's too much for him. Can't even say it. But Jesus says, yeah, 
you're right. Again, do it. Do it. So what do we got here? What we have Jesus doing is acting like God, and he's saying, this is my commandment. When Jesus says, do it, love God, love neighbor, and when Jesus says, tells this guy, do it, get out there, and, and do likewise, have mercy on people like the Samaritan had mercy, you got to remember, this is the commandment of God. God governs from the family. God governs from the individual. This is what God is calling individuals and families of his to do in the world. So yes, indeed, it springs out of the Bible, this idea that human beings do have the right to be cared for by other human beings. So that puts a whole lot of weight and responsibility on us as individuals and families to make sure that we do not despise anybody and that we are willing to give a, a helpful hand to anybody that asks us for a helpful hand. We are to take care of one another. This is an echo from, you know, the, the infamous, you know, Cain versus Abel debacle where God makes it very clear to Cain, yes, you are your brother's keeper. This is, in, you know, an exact step of God reminding humanity from the very beginning that you are, we are all collectively our brother's keepers. And that's not letting the ladies off the hook. So, you know, taking care of each other is what God is governing us to do. And it should flow out of our love for God. If we love God, Jesus says, you're in the right spot, baby. And as, as you love God, you're going to realize, oh my gosh, I am not playing the role that I should, which takes me to God because I need forgiveness, which God is willing to give us. But he's going to send us right back to the front line of doing what we're supposed to do. God is does not endorse any idea of cliques, distinctions, bigotries, etc., etc., etc. This passage and this story only makes sense if it's God who is saying it, if it's God who is putting the order to hum human beings that you are to take care of one another. And let us remind each other, too, that God does not command the governments of the world to take care of people. That's a nice thing, I suppose, but we all know that, you know, well, let me just tell you a little story that a lot of new, um, you know, aspiring doctors, whenever they go to England, you know, they, they go to England because they see England has this, you know, great national health care program. And they think, man, this is the way to go. This is what we, you know, we need to do. And it's a great idea. I, I don't despise, I, I don't disagree with that. It's a great idea. But these young doctors quickly find out that the people who are getting free health care are often so ungrateful. Uh, you ought to read a book by uh, Theodore Dalrymple, um, Life at the Bottom or uh, The Terror of Existence, man. He, he just lays it out there because he's been a doctor all of his life and he's got these great stories. And, he, and he's been a doctor of, of the low life of English society, which is, you know, dumb Irishmen and people like, you know, me. Well, I'm, you know, I'm an American. But, um, but here it is. This passage only makes sense if it's God who is saying it, because what do humans do? What does the world of humans do? They form cliques, they form distinctions, they form bigotries, and then they justify themselves just like this guy does for their bigotries, for their distinctions, patting themselves on the back and excluding others. That's what human beings do. Jesus says, uh-uh, that doesn't come from God. What comes from God is do it. Do it. Do it. Love God. Love neighbor. Go love God. Go love your neighbor. You know, 
the same way you love yourself. And we are good at loving ourselves. I say that, uh, you know, my little T-shirt says, you know, when, when uh, tyranny, uh, when, when tyranny becomes law, then it's our duty to rebel. And, and listen, if you want to be a genuine rebel in this world, then get on to the business of loving God and loving neighbor. You will truly be a rebel against this world's bigotries, distinctions, and, and all their little fights and, and uh, haughty behaviors. The fun suckers of the world are always forming little cliques and distinctions and bigotries, and they're never on the front line of just helping people. This story is about get on the front line and help people. When you see somebody in need, you help them. Don't ask questions. Don't don't smirk to yourself and say, oh, I, you know, this, that, or the other thing. Just get into the business. Jesus says, do it. Do it. Do likewise. Well, anyhow, go. Love God. Love neighbor. Good Samaritan. Great story. Thank you, God. Catch you next time.